0: Good morning again. Uh, I forgot to make a brief announcement before uh, we start today. Uh, next Sunday, we are going to have our kind of uh, small group kickoff. Uh, if you were a part of a small group, uh, last year we took kind of a break in the summertime. Uh, if you were a part of it, uh, hopefully you'll be hearing from your small group leaders soon about when you're going to start. But next week, Andrew's going to talk. Andrew, our deacon over uh, Small Groups is going to talk about our, our talk to our small group leaders about having them set up here at the, in the front, kind of where these tables are here. So if you're interested in, in, in joining a small group, you'll know where they meet, when they usually meet, um, you know, throughout the week or on Sundays or wherever it might be so that you can find a small group for you. So look out for that next week and be excited, be uh, interested in joining a small group. So uh, we're going to continue our our series here in 1 Corinthians 13, talking about the most excellent way, which I hope by now you know the most excellent way, starts and ends with love, right? Uh, The most excellent way, this idea of love, and last week we talked about embracing absolute truth, right? Absolute truth of Jesus, but also sharing the absolute truth about Jesus, and those things are really good in tandem, but really, really appreciating the fact that you need to do both of these things with love, right? With that most excellent way in mind, embracing absolute truth and sharing absolute truth with love. We talked about how that can be difficult sometimes. How even with the the people that are closest in our lives, our friends, even our family, maybe even more difficult with our family, that it's difficult to share this absolute truth if they don't believe it. Uh, but that's what we're called to do. Uh, we are called to be different from the world around us. We're called to a, a different way, a more excellent way, the most excellent way, right? To share this love, this absolute truth of Jesus. And I hope that was encouraging to you last week to embrace that, but also to share it with those in your lives. So like uh, Jesse just read for us, we're going to continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But before we begin, I want to ask the question, does anyone enjoy a reality check in their life? Have you ever got a reality check in your life that you were really, really interested in having at that very moment? Uh, some of my favorite content that I find on YouTube or Instagram or whatever is when basketball players talk about their welcome to the NBA moment, where they'll be talking with somebody in a in a in a room where they say, well, What was your welcome to the NBA moment? And basically, is who's the veteran who puts you on the ground the first time you entered the, the league and you realize, oh, this game is gonna be a little bit different. I love those conversations. Usually they'll they'll have the they'll cut to the clip where it happens, you're like, man. That's terrifying, right? That is a reality check of reality checks being put on the ground by someone who's been doing it for much longer than you, right? Uh, But we all experience reality checks, whether they're in you know sports like that or just in our daily lives. I remember, uh, for me, I've had many in my life, uh, some more significant than others. But I'm going to share with one, share with you one that I had uh, in my life when I just entered college. So I was a pretty decent student in high school. Uh, I, I did okay and I went to UCF. I started UCF, and uh, as you might know, UCF is a huge school, like 60,000 undergrad on campus. You get lost in the sea of people. And one of my first classes that I took that fall semester was biology. There's 500 students in my class, and I was one of just you know 500, and it seemed like I was an ant, right? And in the grand scheme of things, among other ants. It was crazy how many people were in my class, this huge stadium seating class, one professor, maybe a couple of TAs. But I remember that my academic career did not get off to a good start because I made the academic choice not to buy the textbook for that class. Because I thought that was gonna set me up for the best success in life, is to not buy the textbook. I don't know what was going through my head. Um, Not much, I guess. Um, So I didn't buy the textbook, but I thought, you know what, I'm gonna be okay, I'm a good listener. I can take good notes. So I go to class every time, I don't miss a class. I'm taking good notes. Our professor says, I'm gonna give you a practice exam. If you do well on this pra- practice exam, you'll be fine on the test. Okay, take the pra- practice exam. I get an 80. That's good enough for me. That is absolutely good enough for me. I'm not gonna sweat it. So I get the 80 on the practice test. I take my Scantron with me to class. I'm, I got this thing, I'm feeling pretty confident. That week I get the results back. I got a 23 on that first exam. 23. That was bad, okay? Uh, that, was, that was like shockingly low. I've never in my life, I, there, like that was so low that I was like, that has to be wrong. Like there has to be something wrong with this. I go and check with my professor, I look at the answers, and I was wrong. The test was not wrong, right? I was totally, totally caught off guard by this. But guess what I did the next day? I didn't buy the textbook, still. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's another, we could talk about that another time. I did not do well in that class, okay? Uh, I did pass it, but I don't know how. Uh, I I made it through, but that was one of my first classes I took at the university level, and I quickly realized that this was going to be a little bit different uh, than high school. Uh, It wasn't terribly different. I think I was pretty well prepared, but there were certain things that I just was not ready for, and that was a total reality check for me. And I'm sure for you, you've had several moments like that in your life. And really kind of the bottom line for all of these reality checks is that your perspective shifts and you realize, oh, man, I failed in this moment. I failed and i got to do something different now than I thought I previously had to do. My reality is shaped by my failure. Our perspectives usually change. I hope they change. And honestly, these reality checks, they should happen throughout your life right? And as a kid, you have these things that shake your world. As an adult, you're like, why did I sweat that so bad, right? And as you get older, the reality checks keep happening, but your perspective keeps changing. And more and more you adapt to these situations, the more and more you're prepared for these situations in your life. But the fact still remains, you fail, your perspective changes, now what? It's time for growth. It's time to see a new path. So I'm hearing all these things, and I'm thinking about this reality check, and I'm reading First Corinthians chapter 13, and we get to this place that I think is so, so important, right? Love never fails. Let's read that together. One, two, three. Love never fails. And it doesn't fail. It's so important, right? This should be on a t-shirt. It probably is on a hat, on something, a bumper sticker. Love never fails. The world needs to know this. But it's interesting because I could read this and we can say, cool, like great, Jimmy, let's go home. Let's let's wrap this up. You told us a great thing to learn this week. It's it's really, really important, and we can leave. And that'd be fine. And maybe we should. Um, but this idea, I think there's more to it than I think we're allowing it to be sometimes. Because when I read these words, the test taker in me gets a little bit, you know, jolted, right? I was told that if I was taking a true and false test, if there's ever an absolute statement, it's probably false, right? Like Jimmy always, you know, I don't know, eats vegetables with every meal. I don't know. It's false because always is an absolute. So I read these through the lens of me taking a test. Love never fails. That can't be true. That's an absolute statement. It can't be true. But the more and more I think about it, and the more and more I lean into this grace and this love of Jesus I realize that this is the only absolute that can be true, right? Whenever Jesus says something, whenever Jesus does something, that is an absolute I can trust, but that doesn't take away all my prior experiences with things like this, right? I can know up here, sure, the love of Jesus never fails, but this word never sticks out to me. But sometimes I do something so bad or something so off course that surely the love kind of diminishes a little bit, right? Right? No, love never fails. Love never fails. This absoluteness is a guarantee. And the thing that I'm getting to is that this statement seems too good to be true. And the world will say this statement is too good to be true. People within this church will say this statement is too good to be true. You don't know how far I've fallen away from God's grace. This statement is too good to be true. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's not. This is reality. This is absolute reality. We have these questions. Am I worthy of this love? No, but that doesn't make it any less true, right? Do I fall short? Yes, but that doesn't make this any less true. But see, we do these things in our mind to say, I think that this cannot be true for me. It can be true for you, but definitely not for me. That doesn't diminish the truth of love never fails. But let's dig deeper into what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13, okay? Because I find it interesting because you know we have our Bibles, they're broken up differently, and it's not that Jesus wrote these things down, or the apostles, or Paul, they didn't make book chapter verses, right? People did that way later. And sometimes when, when we read these things, I encourage you to read them straight through as if you're hearing them for the first time, right? Because we put the chapter breaks, we put the paragraph breaks, and when I read the verses that we read this morning, it seems to like, flow a little bit better this way. Love is patient, love is kind. This is beginning in verse four. Love does, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let that book end right there, right? Love is, and then love never fails. That's perfect. Serve it up. That's fantastic. But what's interesting, at least in the NIV translation, is there's a paragraph break there. And, and usually I'm like, okay, that doesn't really matter. But for some reason, I really like whoever decided to break that up there. Whoever decided, let's put a little bit of a break, let's indent there and make it a kind of a new thought. Because it seems to make things sound a little different. It, and this is my interpretation, love never fails, comma, but dot, dot, dot. That's my interpretation of what's going on here. We we don't have this, this simplicity of saying, love is this, and then love never fails, take it home and eat it. It's love never fails, comma, but. And I love what he continues to say here, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. And he's talking about all these really good things, but they're useless without love. We've talked about this before, right? That was the whole beginning of this section, right? It comes back to what we've talked about previously in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? If you look in your Bibles, in the verse 1, it says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding God. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith that can move the mountains, but, but do not have love, I have nothing. He talks about these things. If we back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about how all our gifts are so, so significant when we do them together, right? And then Paul returns to this idea. Love never fails. He wants to make sure we know that. And then he brings up these gifts again. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease and so forth. All of these things point to this absolute truth we were talking about last week. All of these things, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, they all point to the things we talked about last week. But one day they will disappear. We only get a glimpse, right? We, we, he continues here to say this, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And it's so interesting, just going back, because if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is lifting up these gifts as very good things. They're very good things to, to illuminate people's knowledge of Christ, to, to help them on their journeys and, and their faith. But he comes back and says, but guess what? There's, there's something else at play here. And it's so significant, too, where Paul says this, right? Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Paul is a guy who loves knowledge. He spent a lot of his life pursuing knowledge. He always talks about growing more in spirit and truth and, and depth of insight, right? These things that Paul sees as significant But then he goes on to say this, but when the completeness comes, there's something else coming, right? What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only reflection as in a mirror, but when we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. All of these things are significant. All of these things do good things. But what he's saying here is that even me, Paul, I only know some of these things, and there's much more to come. Love never fails. He he, It's that Resounding kind of rhythm throughout. Love never fails, but all these things I've talked about, they're really, really good things. I really want to make this clear. All these things are good, but there's something else to come. Paul himself is standing before men, standing before all these different churches and saying, I only know a little bit of the story, and you only know a little bit of the story, and something else is coming. And it's so interesting. I love the way that he talks about this. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Do you know what that is? to reason like a child. This this lyric came to my mind as I kind of prepared this week. I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. You guys know this song? Bob Dylan, my back pages, um, he initially wrote it. Several bands have covered this song over and over again, but this, I'm not going to sing it for you, but the sentiment is very clear. I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. Bob Dylan talks about all these experiences he has as a kid. He talks about the prejudice that was all around him growing up in the time period that he grew up. All the black and whiteness of the world where there's a dividing line between right and wrong. And he's looking around and saying, as I grow older, my perspective has shifted. right. This reality check sets in that when you were a kid, you had everything figured out. When you were a kid, I was so much older than I had so much more experience and wisdom when I was a kid, or at least I thought that I did. I was so much older than I am younger than that now. And I had that in my mind as I was reading this because when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. I had everything figured out when I was 18. I had everything figured out when I walked in that biology class and I didn't buy a textbook. Because... I thought that my wisdom and insight at that time was enough to get me through this experience, whatever it might be. But I love what the the way that, that Paul is kind of phrasing this is that like that was a former self. And now that he's grown into adulthood, I think that his world has expanded. We know that his world has expanded, right? This revelatory experience that Jesus had where his eyes are literally shut to the world around him. He's no longer able to see it in the way that he was able to see before. And then everything changes for Paul. We have to have all this in context, right? When he was a child, he's not talking about when he was a baby. I'm sure he was talking about his childhood before receiving Jesus into his life, right? The blindness, the things that he had figured out, right? The things that he was going and persecuting Christians, doing all these things with so much zeal, he talks about it over and over and over again in his letters, right? A Hebrew of Hebrews, the most zealous Pharisee there ever was, he had it figured out. But now we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and he talks about all these spiritual gifts that are so, so significant. He says, love never fails, but guess what? Even those significant things we talked about, they're gonna pass away because there's still much more to come. I only know a little bit of the story. I only know a little bit of what's going on. And hopefully for for Christians, as as we read this, I, I mean, in, in life, I think this is a universal tendency, right? It's universal whether you're a Christian or not, that you had things figured out in a way when you were a, when you were a teenager that you don't as an adult. And you figured out how, much, how little you know now as an adult compared to how much you thought you knew as a teenager. But I think even more so with Christians, when we read these words of Paul and his experiences, these words kind of echo into our lives. It should be much more significant, right? As you grow in faith and love in Jesus and the grace that you receive from Jesus, you should be able to recognize, oh, man, I'm a flawed human being. And that's a flawed human being, and that's a flawed human being. And we're all flawed, trying to be less flawed under the veil of Jesus, right? This should be our experience. But for some of us, it's not. I think, I think of the way that Paul kind of lives this out. Uh, we aren't there yet. That's what I keep hearing over and over again as I read these in the back of my mind. We're not there yet, right? We, in verse 12, for we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And as I'm reading these words of Paul, I'm not just hearing the words of Bob Dylan, right? I'm not just hearing these, these kind of proverbial things. I'm hearing the words of Jesus as well. Think about all the experiences that Jesus had with his disciples where he's saying, I'm telling you something that you don't really understand right now, but one day you will. Look with me in Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That sounds familiar. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptizing with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. See, James and John, they knew in part what was fully going to be known later. Jesus is still interacting with them. Look in Matthew chapter 16. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Again, we know in part, we only know a a small picture of what's going on here, Peter. And Jesus is trying to illuminate more. And even on the last day of Jesus' life, this is what he cries out as he's dying. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. If you think you know everything, you do not know everything. Jesus himself is experiencing the most gruesome death probably imaginable at the hands of his own creation. And the last thing he wants to say for people to hear is forgive them, they don't understand what's going on. And so I hear these words that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, all these good things, love, but even in the midst of all that, love never fails. And those good things are still good things, but there's still good things to come. You just don't know what they are yet. And even if I told you, right, going back to Habakkuk, right, even if I told you, you would not understand. Jesus said the same thing over and over to his disciples. You still do not understand. One day you're going to understand more, but even then you're still not going to understand. It's this kind of dissonance, this uncertainty that we wrestle with, which which makes a lot of us uncomfortable, to be honest. I don't like to stand before people and say, I don't know, but I have no problem doing it. I hate when people come to me asking, what's the plan? I'm, 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 I'm not sure right now, but I'll figure it out, right? But for some reasons, Christians have a hard time with this dissonance of saying, I'm not sure yet. Or when people challenge your faith, you say, well, I'm not so sure about that thing. That's okay. Even Paul himself, it's like he's giving us an opportunity here to say, guess what? Even though all the things that we do know, we only know a little bit of it. We're looking in the mirror as if it was a reflection. We don't see the reality standing before us, but this is the one thing that we can hang our hats on, guys, is that love never fails. And I don't want to serve that up to you as this is a churchy response to, to conflict or, or to, to tough conversations, but all the things around us in our world that are chaotic and all the questions that are around us, this is the absolute truth that we have to go back to. Love never fails. And with this conflict and with this chaos and all the uncertainty of the world, this becomes difficult for even Christians to take and accept. But we have to accept it, and we have to be people who look like we're accepting it and giving it to other people. If we want people to know that this is truth, we have to receive it too. Love never fails. And the problem with the church is, and I'm not just saying, I'm not saying just this church, I'm saying the church is that we can accept this, but while accepting this, we can give out a lot of shame in the process. Yeah, love never fails, but that thing that you did is really bad, and so you ought to feel a certain way about that thing, right? Here's some shame to go along with that love. That's such a human response that's not even funny. I know that a lot of us in here uh, maybe not have named that as as an experience you've had in your life, but it definitely was an experience. I want you to think right now, what's that one sin that you grew up hearing that was unforgivable? Don't say it out loud, but uh, I know the one that I was told, and it scared me to death. It scared me to death, and and maybe it did get me out of a little bit of trouble in life because I was so afraid, but that's not helpful, is it? I, I want to see a whole lot of heads doing this. It's not helpful because guess what? We're not blaspheming Jesus, right? That's what Jesus says. We don't blaspheme God. That's a bad thing. But everything else, right, you are forgiven. And I think that, that's a whole other class. We can talk about what blasphemy actually is. But what I want you to get across this morning is that whatever that sin is in your mind that is unforgivable in your head is a you problem, not a Jesus problem. That's a church problem that we are heaping shame and guilt on people that Jesus is trying to say, hey, love never fails, remember? Remember that. Love never fails. Whatever you've done, I want you to please come back. And the problem is is that we can still wrestle with that and say, yeah, but I don't know. That shame still lingers with us. and That shame is still preventing us from accepting this as a reality. But that, again, is what you are doing, not what Jesus is doing. Those feelings don't make this any less true. Those feelings of shame and guilt do not make love never failing any less true. That is you preventing yourself from getting to know who Jesus is. And I, and I'm not, I don't want to under, under, undersell just the depths of, of, of depression and, and stuff like that that shame can bring someone to. I'm not saying just get over it. I don't hear me saying that this morning. I realize that there are, there are resources available to help you through these things. It's not always just the church, but it's family. There's all these systems and things in place that make us feel a certain way, and make us feel like this isn't true. But what I do want this morning to be about is recognizing that whatever you're going through, this is still true. Whatever you're experiencing, whatever guilt or shame you're experiencing, this is still true, and there's an opportunity for you to experience this in a radical way in your life. Love never fails. Agape love has nothing to do with shame. That's what we've been talking about, right? Agape love. This love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13, this God, uh, this selfless love, this God-fearing, this God love that he gives to us is what we're talking about this morning and what we have been talking about. And as I kind of think more and more about this, I kind of get to the conclusion that this is just a love that we don't fully understand. It's a love that we're not going to understand in this life. We only see a reflection. We do not see the whole complete picture, but this is truth. So my question is, if this love doesn't make sense to us right now, if we wrestle with this on a daily basis, how can we actually be fully loved by Jesus? If this love doesn't make sense to us right now, how can I strive to understand it better? Right? Paul doesn't say, hey, guess what? You only know in part, so stop trying to know Jesus, right? He didn't say that. Absolutely not. That is the opposite of what Paul ever says about striving towards the goal, right? But this love still, we only know in part, but how can we strive to understand it better? I have a couple things this morning. One, don't allow discipline to be your first love. Don't allow discipline to be your first love. Do not get me wrong. I think discipline is super, super important. You should be in the Word. You should be praying. You should be doing these things that allow you to commune with God on a daily basis. I believe that. But if it becomes discipline for the sake of discipline, you're missing it all. Right? The, the, the ritual is super, super important. Uh, I was super lucky to get to go to Israel this past summer, and I got to see a lot of different religions and the different rituals they experienced. And every day they do the exact same thing every day. And some of us would say, man, they have it all confused because they're just doing it for the sake of doing it. But no, they do it because they need to be reminded. That's how they talk about it. This is a constant reminder that I need to be in union with God. That's important. But I want us to have kind of a balance here that allowing discipline to be our first love takes away our first love to be Jesus, right? If it's just about being here, if it's just about knowing the right answers to say, then discipline for the sake of discipline is senseless. Don't allow it to be your first love. Allow Christ to be your first love, that love that never fails. Allow that to be your first love. And the second one is allow the mystery of God to draw you near to him. I had a teacher at Harding. His name was Dr. Youngblood. And Chase, if you can take a class with Dr. Youngblood, do it. Um, This was, this whenever I thought about this, he, he's the first person that came to mind. He is the most scholarly looking guy. He used to have a long beard and glasses and he, you know, he'd like speak Hebrew and Greek to you like it was normal. And it was great because Dr. Youngblood, Dr. Youngblood was easily distracted. So in class, if you didn't want to do the lesson that day, you, you just ask him a random question about a random verse in the Bible. And then he'd take off his glasses. And if he started to take off his glasses, you knew that he was about to throw down some, some serious wisdom and knowledge. And that was so great. But what I loved about Dr. Youngblood is that he had so much brilliance and so much knowledge about God and the Bible, but it wasn't because he wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. It's because the mystery of God drew him closer to him. And just being in his presence made me realize, oh, it's not just about getting the right answer on the test or knowing these things so that when someone asks me a question, I can give them the right answer. It's because that mystery of God is is bringing him closer and closer to him. It doesn't take away what Paul says here, right? It doesn't take away the fact that uh, verse 12 says, for now I see only reflection in the mirror. That reflection in the mirror is going to just be a reflection for a while. For now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Dr. Youngblood recognized that he's never going to fully know God on this earth, but that doesn't mean don't strive to do it. Don't strive to become closer and closer to him, because that that closeness, that unity with him is what's going to change your life and change the lives of those around you. Allowing the mystery of God, to, you don't have all the answers, you're never gonna have all the answers, but allowing yourself to be drawn into that mystery is what allows your relationship to blossom and grow. So don't allow discipline to be your first love and allow the mystery of God to be what draws you nearer to him. We don't understand this love, but I think through these ways, through these things that we're talking about this morning, we get to know it a little bit better. Let's pray. God, I feel like I, I talked really fast this morning, and uh, I want to own that. Uh, I get, sometimes in my head when I get up here and I just uh, stumble over my words, and it doesn't always come out that way, but I pray that through my, uh, my flaws that your word is able to be understood. And basically, I just want to say thank you for this love that we don't fully understand. Because God, if we could fully understand this love, it wouldn't be worth striving towards. We thank you for the mystery uh, that we experience in our faith with you that, that it t- continues to grow in our lives and these experiences that we have, our perspectives, they change. But God, you still remain as we grow and, and learn to know you better. God, please allow that mystery to help us to want to grow, that desire to know you, while also recognizing that we're only going to know a part of the story here on earth. Help us to be okay with that dissonance. Help us to bridge that gap for many who have a tr- have problems with that dissonance. Help us to uh, allow that discipline to not just be dismal, but, but, but be a means for us to commune with, commune with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're struggling this morning with uh, wanting to go into that mystery, if you feel like you've been burned by these different things you've gone on in your life, the church or people or places or whatever, if you're feeling that shame and guilt, I want to offer an opportunity for you to be done with that. It's not through me, it's not through the elders here, it's not through any person, but it's through the Spirit walking with you through those experiences. Don't allow shame to make this love never fails less true in your life. If you have any needs at all, we want to invite you to come forward, but you don't have to come forward this morning, but I want to urge you to talk to somebody today while we stand and sing.